0: Good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, I'll be reading from James 5, 7-11, through 11, New Living Translation. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You, too, must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged, for look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. The word of the Lord.
1: Awesome. Thank you very much, Aaron. Let's just pray as we get into uh, the word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, we thank you for the way in which you have given us your word, uh, the Bible, and how you speak to us. Each and every single one of us, you speak to us through it. And God, as we kind of reflect on those words that Aaron read, that that James wrote to uh, to these believers, Lord, and uh, and and even at the same time wrote to us, I pray that we would be able to still our heart. We would hear from you this morning, Lord God, that we would know what you have for each and every single one of us today, and that we would be able to respond however you're calling us to do so, Lord God. But I pray that you would just give us a heart like a child, that we would be able to actually hear from our Father, and just say, yes, God, yes, we want to do what you're asking of us. And so, God, when it comes to this passage, I, I see this aspect of time and this aspect of waiting. Waiting through hardship, waiting through, through these, these tough moments in our life, Lord God. And, and for some of us, that might be right now. We are, we are in the thick of it. We're in the midst of a tough moment. But we also see this waiting on you, Jesus, to return. And so, God, as we, as we look at this this morning, Lord God, may you just guide this conversation. May we hear from you. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think some of the most powerful and evocative moments in life take place when we are waiting. Waiting is a hard emotion to fully convey. Each of us experience it differently. It also changes depending on what type of thing we are waiting for. And it can also even change the emotions that are involved when it comes to waiting. When we describe waiting, we usually use descriptive and emotional words so that others can can fully grasp just how intense the emotion of waiting can be. Or how dull and dreary and boring just kind of waiting for something to happen can be as well. I I think waiting can be especially painful when we're waiting in the middle of a hard time. Such as the time spent in a waiting room at a hospital, waiting for news about a loved one who got into an accident. The moments spent in those four-walled capsules of time can lead anyone to be anxious and tap their foot while stress beads on their forehead. We say time in those moments seemed to drag. Time slows to a crawl. It felt like forever when really only a few minutes had passed. But even when we're waiting on good news like an acceptance letter for a team or a school, it can also feel like an eternity. I mean, eagerly rushing to the mailbox every evening, asking your parents if the mail has come in, or or yourself running to that mailbox and checking it. Whatever busyness occupied your day, it, it pales in comparison to trying to find out what is in that letter. And when that piece of mail finally comes, you tear into it to find out the news. You barely breathe, and you hold on to your breath as you skim each word. You don't even read the details of it yet. You're just looking for the word of acceptance. And you exhale with pride as you kind of read that you are accepted. Or perhaps you're a farmer who just finished up a season of harvest, and you get just a little rest before the busyness picks back up. Waiting. Waiting can be extremely painful, or it can play an intermediary role of rest after a season of labor. Regardless of what type of waiting it is, waiting plays a big part of our life. However, as Christians, we know that we are also in a season of waiting. And actually, we have been for thousands of years we are waiting on the return of our King. We are waiting on Jesus. We know one day and soon, according to the Bible, Jesus is going to be coming back. The New Testament is full of writers saying Jesus is returning soon. And he's coming back. Even the Gospels, Jesus says to his disciples, I will be returning. I will return and I will reclaim my bride which is the church. Yet when James is writing it it actually hasn't even been that long of a season of time since his half brother Jesus has left the earth. Yet even in that moment James recognizes that it could happen at any moment. I mean, when we look at Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus even is describing about how he's going to be returning. And he says, when it comes to his return, he says, No one knows the day or the hour. No, not even the angels in heaven know. The Son does not know. Only the Father knows. And Jesus continues on in verse 50, saying how his return will come unexpected, and it will be at an hour which will not be known. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at that hour he does not know. It's pretty incredible the way Jesus talks about his return. I mean, he's not wanting us to know when, but he wants us to know that he's coming back. I don't know about you, but I've always found that weird. I found it odd that Jesus actually doesn't give us the exact time when he's going to come back. I feel like for us as Christians, if we had that day, we could probably use that, right? We could probably say, okay, we know that we have X amount of days. Let's prepare. Probably tell some people. Jesus is coming back at this exact time, at this exact hour. And and, I, and I've always found it strange that Jesus doesn't do that. As I was kind of studying for this message today, I, I was reading this commentary by Janine Brown on Matthew, and she offers an answer, and I really like it, actually. She says, Jesus does this so we don't spend our time focusing on the exact date and hour, but rather on the moments each day that God grants us. Read it one more time. Jesus does this so we don't spend our time focusing on the exact date and hour, but rather on the moments each day that God grants us. I like that. I remember having to stay behind after school one time in junior high for some quiet studying time, you know, and uh, <laughs> which wasn't monitored or mandatory. It wasn't a consequence. <laughs> Anyways, I remember watching the clock and feeling the time drag and the seconds feel like minutes, and before before I would be let out, uh, or rather, I would want to leave my studying time. Did I convince anyone that I wasn't in detention? (laughs) Well, anyways, uh, all my attention was going to that clock because I knew when that big hand hit the 30-minute marker, I would be finally allowed to leave. It's funny. It's funny how time seems to fly by during certain things, and at others, it just seems to slow to a stop. I think James realizes there's an important role that we all have when it comes to our own sense of time. And how we have a responsibility on how we spend our time. Pastor Adam last week did an incredible job challenging us with, where are we putting our treasure and what is our treasure? And Pastor Adam talked a lot about where, where we put our money is where our treasure is. I think it was really well put. I would recommend you if you haven't had a chance to listen to it. It's available online. But I think right up there with with treasure and, and, and money being our treasure is actually time. We value a lot of things, but I think we value time among the topest, like the most high of treasures and i and i think with that with pastor adam what he was saying last week about how we need to actually look at money and we need to bring that into a sacrificial part of living which is what the christian walk is it's a sacrificial style of living i think we need to really look at our time that way as well we really need to be saying to our time okay we need to live this out sacrificially Meaning above using it on yourself, you need to be going to God and asking God, what do you want to do with this time, with my time? What do you want to do with it? I think we sometimes forget the relationship that we have with God. At least I know I do. I think the older we get, the easier it becomes to forget the words of Jesus and and how he states our relationship with God is. Do you remember what he says in Matthew 18 about how we need to approach God? What does he say? He says, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. We approach God as a child because he is our father. Do you remember being a child? Or or maybe you have children, and so you know exactly what I'm about to say. When a child wants to do something, it's not just good enough for them to do it on their own. They want their parents deeply involved in every action, <laughs> even ones that you don't want to be involved in. I remember um, being at my, my sister-in-law and, and brother-in-law's house, and uh, we were kind of watching my nephew, and he was getting frustrated with my sister-in-law because he wanted to go to the washroom. And his mom wasn't wanting to go watch him go poop for the second time that day. Or when he got back from his little trip, he, he came back into the living room and he was playing with his toys. Do you want to skip forward a couple slides, Lucas? I'll show you a picture of my, my uh, nephew. He's really cute. <laughs> And, uh, and, and he just, he had this little toy, this car toy, one of those like matchbox ones or, or Hot Wheel ones, and he's just playing with it. And, and he, like, he, the toy is so small that he could just play with it himself, but he wanted his mom to be playing exactly with him on this little car toy. I think that's cute. But at the same time, I also think that that's kind of what God wants from us as well. When's the last time that you wanted to do life with God like that, like a child? Maybe not the washroom bit. We'll kind of leave that alone. But what about just inviting God into the midst of whatever is going on in your life? Maybe you're struggling with a coworker, And when's the last time you asked God to change your heart towards that person? Or maybe asking God how you can deal with the situation that caused the rift in your guys' relationship. Or maybe it's a family member and you just don't have the words to say anymore. Why aren't you asking God through the presence of the Holy Spirit to gift you with the right things to say and the right actions to do in those moments? And let's not get stuck in the rut of only inviting God into the midst of our life when when things are tough, when situations aren't going the way that we necessarily want it. For we have a God who actually created all the pleasurable, wonderful, amazing, and good experiences that we go through in life. When you went on that walk the other day, and you were just enjoying the day, did you invite God to meet you on that walk, to maybe interrupt your quiet time so that you can be on mission with him in the community that you walk every day? Or when you're hanging out with your friends at the mall or your favorite coffee spot, have you invited God into that space, into that area of your life? We need to remember that God is the one who created all of life, and it's under his permission and allowance that all of our experiences in life happen, the good and the bad. And in the midst of all of them, God is wanting to walk alongside us with them in those moments he's wanting to do life with us day in and day out he and and yet he is not a god that's going to force himself into every moment or into every aspect of our life but like our best friend or, or rather the best friend that we deserve he's only a call away only a prayer away God desires to do life with us. And this leads me to one of my two points. I'm keeping it very simple today. My first point is this, that God is always readily available to us. I take this from this point from the last portion of our verses today. James talks about Job and and how he persevered in the midst of all of his life, the good and the bad. That God was right alongside him through it all. James says, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. God knows what you're going through today. He sees you. I, I, I As I was preparing this message, I got a distinct feeling from God that some of you need to hear that this morning. God sees you. He doesn't see the outward appearance that we present for others. God isn't fooled like others can be by a well-timed smile or laugh. He sees beyond what money and social grace can buy. He sees the heart of every man and woman. He sees what we are carrying in the deepest reaches of our being. And he knows the concerns and troubles which are weighing us down. He also sees the hidden sins that we hide away in the dark. And you know what? Even though he sees all of that, what does he say? He says, I love you. You are my prized treasures, my glorious sons and daughters worth dying for. He sees you. Do you know that today? That God loves you, that he died on a cross to rescue and redeem you? Do you know that this morning? Do you know that, amen? Amen. Let's jump back into our first point. God is always readily available. God is always readily available to us. I I brought this up first, even though it's at the very end of the passage, because it helps us fully understand what James is trying to say through the context of this passage. James has been going on throughout this whole book, this whole book that we've been studying for the last little bit, And and one of the things that I think we need to remember is this little verse, this section of verses that we're reading this morning, that we are studying, uh, is in a bigger context. How many of you have ever heard of Rabbi Zacharias? Probably a few, right? If not a lot, (laughs) he's pretty popular. He has an amazing saying that a text without a context is a pretext. Meaning to pull a text, or in our part this morning, scripture, out of the context is to remove the passage from its surrounding matter, and we will therefore distort the meaning of what it's saying. So a text without a context is a pretext. James writes this passage on the heels of talking about the Christian life, and how the Christian life should be scarred with service and obedience and prayer. And I say scarred because it hurts sometimes to live out the Christian life. It's going to cause wounds at times to be actually genuinely living out our walk. And sometimes we're going to get cuts. Sometimes we're going to get big gashes through the way that we need to live our life before others. But thank goodness that we serve a God who heals. And so those wounds and those cuts, though they may hurt in the moment, they're going to heal. And God's going to let us to keep on going. And he's going to allow us to show others our scars that we've done in our Christian life. And we're going to be able to say, but by God's grace, but by God's healing, we persevere. The Christian life should be scarred with service, obedience, and prayer. The Christian life will cost us but Christ is right alongside us. A good friend of mine uh, who recently moved back to Ireland, his wife did a sermon on what Jesus meant when he said, love each other as I have loved you. Her points were all on how love actually can cost us. I'm just going to throw her her points on the screen because they blew me away as I was reading them. She says, uh, firstly, a love like Jesus is a love that hurts our reputations. Spend time with the lonely, the poor, the rejects, the sinner, the unlikable, and the unlovable. Secondly, a love that hurts our plans and schedules. That's how we love like Jesus. Always be available for people. You're never too busy. Your plans aren't more important than the needs of those around us thirdly a love that hurts our bank balance we can't serve god and money give sacrificially fourthly love that hurts our clean look get your hands dirty literally we aren't above doing menial tasks do what needs to be done and do it gladly And finally, a love that hurts physically. Jesus bore the cross. Many of our brothers and sisters are being persecuted around the world, and maybe God is calling us there too. That's a good word. That challenged me to the core. I love the way she articulates it and says that our love, if we love like Jesus, is going to cost us a lot like it cost Jesus. It's a challenging message. And so the question for us this morning, even looking at this passage in James, is saying, are we prepared to take Jesus seriously and love as he loves? Are you prepared to invite God into our most precious of all commodities? I think time, actually, you know what? I believe time is our most precious of all commodities, even above money. And that's my second point. Time is our most valuable commodity, and as such, we need to crucify it. Meaning we need to see time in a transformed way. We need to see it as Jesus lived his life and say to God, not my will, but your will, Father. Not my time, but your time. Not my day, your day, Jesus. Use my day how you will. James is writing this passage. He, he, he's writing it to Jewish believers who are turned Christians. He's writing to these people who are being persecuted in the midst of this time. And he's saying, I know you are enduring hardship. I know you're going through a tough time. And it's making you doubt. It's making you go through a lot of struggles. In fact, you're probably even starting to grumble. You're starting to quarrel with one another. But even in the midst of all of that, even though you're being persecuted right now, hold fast. James further knows Jesus is going to return. And he says to them as a hope, which is the hope that we have today. He says, we need to live our life as if he could return any moment. And we need to live each day as it is a gift. We use our time, we use our day to bless God and others. And and he references, James does, he references Job as a fine example of that. His understanding that in all things in our life is given to us by God. And in a moment, God can and he may take it away. In in fact, as each breath we breathe is given to us by God. Here's something cool, this is kind of just an aside, but it, as I was doing my research and studying for this passage, I came upon this and kind of reminded me of, uh, of something that I was taught a while ago. Uh, in Hebrew, God's name is spelt like this, which we pronounce it Yahweh. It would be more actually properly written like this, which is kind of weird, kind of indiscernible. And the reason why it actually is that is because that's the way it is in Hebrew. It's unpronounceable. It's unpronounceable. And I get a lot, I can get in a lot more into the theology behind what his name is and, and why it was given and all that kind of stuff. But it was given to Moses back in Exodus 3 when God was speaking to him in the burning bush and he asks God, who, who do you say you are? And he says, I am. And then he talks about going, he's like, when I go, who do I say that I'm going in the name of? He says, you go in the name of I am. In the English Bibles that we have, it'll be pronounced Lord all in caps in our Bibles. And the thing that's cool about God's name being Yahweh is it is unpronounceable if we look at it in the proper way. And what I find amazing about that, and this is what I was kind of taught, is Yahweh, if we slow it down a little bit and we actually kind of think about it, It's the same thing as our breath. It's Yahweh. It's us breathing in and exhaling. It's our breath that God has given to us and us returning our breath to God. I find this so amazing because it is God who breathed breath into us at the beginning. And when we breathe, we are saying the name of God. God with us. God present. God is Yahweh. This means that no matter what comes, we know that God is here right now. He is present, and yet He is still to come. God's kingdom is here, and God's kingdom will come. God is present through the power of the Holy Spirit, yet Jesus will return. It's a tension. So what do we do with the time that is given to us is a choice. We can choose to live for him in expectancy that he is coming and will complete the good work that he has begun in the earth and in us. It's a tension found in the heart of waiting. We know that even in the midst of whatever we are going through, we have the Holy Spirit or another name for his presence is the Comforter. We have God comforting us through whatever we are going through. We see in Scripture a response that we should have. We should have a response that is eagerly waiting the return of Jesus. It's one of waiting for his return, but not letting that cease the living of our life. Rather, one that pushes us to act in the here and the now. It says in Philippians 3 verse 20, But we are citizens of heaven when the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. We allow our citizenship to determine how we live and act. Much like Jesus, we bring the kingdom of heaven down to earth through our actions and through our lives. We live in the reality that Jesus has brought it down, as he said in Mark 1, verse 15, "...the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel." That's how we should live. We spend our time proclaiming the gospel in word and deed. I want to end our time this morning by painting a scene of an airport. A scene of waiting. And as I do, I want to invite you guys just to close your eyes, and I'll invite the worship team back up. Just close your eyes, just still yourself. I want you just to envision as I describe the scene. You see the airport bustling with people Some rushing to get in so that they can make the gate at the right time Others slowly waiting in line to check their luggage You find yourself on this bright morning Sitting on one of the oddly comfortable airport chairs Scanning the crowds You see two different scenes play out almost at the same time The first is of a woman standing in the midst of all the busyness, anxiously awaiting by their arrivals. She keeps hopping up on the tips of her toes, looking to get a better view of who's all around. The second view that you see is another lady sitting down on a chair, busy tapping away on a keyboard. The laptop is blocking her face from you but every once in a while she looks up and breaks her gaze from the screen finally some people after some time emerge through the doors of the arrival gate and you see the first lady eagerly scanning each face as they pass through it then her eyes lock on a gentleman who greets her look with eagerness She runs to greet him. The man drops his bag and scoops up the woman in her arms as they laugh, spinning in a circle, reunited. Quite frankly, it's something out of a Nicholas Sparks book. The long-expected wait is at an end, for they are reunited. take a glance at the other lady, she seems enamored with her computer. In fact, while you had looked away, she had put on headphones and gotten more comfortable. You look back at the crowd of people and you see another guy paused at the sight of the reunited couple. He continues his walk and begins scanning around for someone. You can tell he's looking for someone in particular. After a while, he shrugs disappointedly and walks to the exit and you see him hail a taxi. You can open your eyes. This is a retelling of the story that we find in Matthew 25, the story of the virgins who are waiting with oil. Some of them are prepared and ready. They have the oil in their canisters and they are ready to wait for the return of their groom. They are prepped and they have everything ready and others beside them don't. The challenge before us today and always is will we be ready and found desiring of the return of Jesus or will we not? For our life right now is found in the long night. We are waiting, but we won't be waiting long. Let's pray. God, I I thank you for your word this morning. God, your word is so profound. It speaks to the very heart of us as your children. And God, at times, I confess, we face it with kind of atmosity. We don't want to actually read what it has to say because we know if we actually read it, it's going to confront some things in our life. God, some of us have been living this life for ourselves. We've been looking for ways in which to just better ourselves, better our situation, better our time, and make the most in the most enjoyable way for ourselves. We've been selfish. But Jesus, the way that you demonstrate your life is one of selflessness. one full of love, one full of kindness, one that meets people right where they are. And you don't leave them there. And so God, I pray for each of us that we would take the call before us seriously. That we are to live our life on mission with you. And God, more than ever before, we have a mission field in our backyard. There are people who don't know you. There are people who, who may have heard your name, but they don't know the good news that you actually have. And so, God, I pray that we would actually humble ourselves to hear what you have for us and to hear what you have for other people that are in our life. And so, God, would you interrupt our life? Would you allow us to actually see what you were doing? you allow us to actually just breathe. Yahweh, you are here. And we thank you for the tension that we find ourselves in, the tension that you are present and that you are yet to come. pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.